uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there in cyberspace, popcorn time, a place where millions of people gathered every day to watch low-res streams of their favorite films, is dead. Or is it? According to Motherboard Editor-in-Chief Jason Kebler, rumors of the demise of Netflix of the Netflix of piracy have been greatly exaggerated. According to Jason, popcorn time is unkillable. I'm Matthew Gall, and this is Cyber. Jason, thank you uh, so much for coming on to Cyber and talking us through the death of popcorn time, the much-touted death of popcorn time. Yeah, uh, it's good to be back. It's a it's a brand new year. Did you have a good break slash holiday? Uh, I did. I had to I had to go back home to Texas, which was a little uh, more frightening than I was expecting. It was East Texas, and uh, even though I live in South Carolina, I was not expecting um, the the complete lack of COVID response there. Uh, was a little bit shocking. Like uh, restaurant workers just. Not wearing masks, no masks any, anywhere. It's kind of me and my, my parents were the only people that were observing that. And it's it's funny to live in those places and work with people in New York City and see the contrast um, between the cultures. Uh, other than that, I, I, I played a lot of Hunt Showdown, um, took a lot of baths, read a lot of books, and just kind of molted. How was yours? It was good. My parents got a new house, so I went uh, and saw it for the first time, and I built a fence with my dad was fun very manual labor very non-cyber um but i did film it i got a gopro for christmas so uh i filmed it and that was fun but i dug a lot of holes and drilled a lot of screws into wood and sawed a lot of boards which gopro did you get the hero 10 it's good it's amazing actually like i mean i've never had a gopro before but like actually it's a very cool device i can't i can't believe how great it is i've been, I got, i've been using it for surfing taking it onto the waves and stuff and you look like an idiot out there but it shoots like 5k video which is just like shockingly clear and crisp like better than my phone uh and you can throw it underwater and just like beat it to shit and it's completely fine which is nice yeah i got karen one uh, a nine for she does scuba she scuba dives and that's what she uses to like take all of her video and photo down there and it I've kind of been shocked by what comes out from a GoPro. Yeah. I've been using it as a webcam too. So uh, next time we stream on Twitch, I'll use it. And it's like, it's not quite as good as a, as a webcam because it has like a fisheye lens. And uh, right now the webcam output is limited to 1080p and -hmm. that's like further reduced by shitty internet. So uh, it's not amazing there, but like just in terms of like filming and then, the, the actual like app and stuff, like it's pretty easy to get it to your phone and then edit it and stuff. So uh, I thought, I, I don't know. I didn't have like high hopes for it, but I'm like actually really enjoying it. So random shout out to, to GoPro cool camera. Yeah. They're, they're nice. You know, what else is nice watching movies for free online. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. Good segue. So, I mean, I think that the, the goal of this episode is to talk a little bit about popcorn time, but, I think more to talk about like the state of internet uh, piracy and sort of like how we talk about piracy and web three and the decentralized internet and that sort of thing. But I guess to get things started, um, the administrators of popcorntime.tw, which was one of the more popular versions of popcorn time, 
posted a Google Trends screenshot uh, on their website, and it just shows that the popularity of Popcorn Time has decreased a lot since 2015. Um, although it doesn't show that, uh, it, it hasn't decreased in interest like that much since like 2019. It's kind of like a huge spike at the beginning and then, you know, generally decreasing interest over time. And they posted the message RIP. And for anyone who doesn't know what popcorn time is, it's basically like, as you said, Matt, the Netflix of piracy. So you could download this app, you could open it, and then you could stream movies that were in the theaters um, or HBO shows or basically anything you wanted for free. Um, And the way that this worked was essentially it was a torrent tracker, not a torrent tracker, a torrent client um, like uTorrent or the original BitTorrent or some of the other ones that people have used over the years. Uh, Transmission was another popular one, but it had a streaming video player built in. So rather than having to wait until the actual uh, torrent file was completely downloaded or the, the file that the movie file was completely downloaded. You could just watch it in real time as it downloaded, uh, which was really user-friendly and people liked it a lot. Uh, but apparently they didn't like it enough for the popcorn time.tw people because they've now shut it down. Well, and so we got a bunch of these articles, um, like at Bloomberg and other places in Gizmodo saying like this popcorn time is dead. It's over. Um, but you wrote kind of a, a counterfactual here where you said popcorn time is unkillable. Um, so why, if you know, this website is shut down, why are you saying it's unkillable? Yeah. I mean, this is the thing and this is like, it drives me nuts because this is not new. It's like, it's, it's a good headline, I guess. And it's like, whatever this version of popcorn time is no longer supported and you can't download it anymore, but torrents are decentralized as in anyone who has ever used a torrent before. It basically has, you know, once you download the torrent file, you're both seeding that torrent and leaching that torrent. So seeding means you're uploading the file and, um, and leaching means you're downloading the file. And so essentially, uh, Torrents were designed through the BitTorrent BitTorrent, uh, protocol to be a decentralized file sharing platform. And so uh, rather than it being hosted on like one individual website, it's hosted on dozens or thousands or tens of thousands of computers, like an individual file. And as long as one person is seeding that uh, file, meaning as long as one person has that torrent file open, other people can download it. And once they download it, if they leave their torrent client open, then they are then seeding it. And so this is a decentralized version of file sharing uh, that doesn't require servers. And this is like not news to Bloomberg and it's not news to Gizmodo and it's not news to any of these people. It's like, as long as one seed is open for these torrent files, these torrent files will exist and what popcorn time is, is is basically a torrent client with a streaming uh web, a video sh- player attached as i said and so this version of popcorn time is dead but there's like five different versions of popcorn time that are still alive and they all work the same way um there's a completely different version of popcorn time like even in the popcorn time community there's a there's a big uh sort of like 
beef over what is the official and real version of Popcorn Time because Popcorn Time is open source software that's been forked dozens and dozens of times and is being maintained by different people on different places. So, you know, there's a version of Popcorn Time that was updated yesterday, like its code was updated yesterday. You can see it on GitHub that it was updated yesterday. The subreddit for Popcorn Time uses a completely different version of Popcorn Time than the one that died yesterday. Um, and so it's, it's similar to the Pirate Bay where it's like, yes, there was a version of the Pirate Bay, which is this legendary torrent tracker that, you know, has been famously unkillable and has done all sorts of things to keep itself alive, including like hosting the website in caves. Um, there was an idea for a while to like launch a version of uh, Pirate Bay into space and have it sort of like live on this satellite. Um, but, but ultimately like what happened was pirate Bay just got mirrored time and time and time again. And it's like, it's not as popular as it was back in the day, but there's like dozens and dozens of versions of the pirate Bay that are constantly uploading new torrents, new files, new movies, new TV shows. Um, and it's not dead. Like it's been, people have said that the Pirate Bay is dead like dozens and dozens of times, but it's not dead. And the same thing goes for Popcorn Time. It's like, it's, it's the version of the decentralized internet that is most popular. Like BitTorrent, in my mind, is in a lot of ways the only decentralized version of the internet that has been, that has proven to be resilient over time it's like we've we've seen tons and tons of websites that we thought like there's a saying that the internet is forever right uh but we've seen that that is not true because sites go down they're seized by uh governments people stop paying for hosting like link rot happens the the internet goes away and places like the internet archive and the Wayback machine, like are, are trying to save some version of the internet, um, you know, over, over time. But we're seeing that it's like, not all that resilient. It's like, as for as amazing as the Wayback machine is and the internet archive is, it's like a lot of these websites, uh, that it saves don't work quite as well. They maybe have broken links, maybe things on them don't load properly, but with torrents where you have sort of this decentralized hosting situation where all you really need is like a single person to keep that dream of hosting that file alive. It's like, it's the same as it's always been. And I think that that's something that, I mean, the Gizmodo article mentions it a little bit, but like the Bloomberg article doesn't mention it. And it's really, it's just, it's crazy to me because Bloomberg has just gone like all in on cryptocurrency and talking about crypto and, and web three. And part of the whole dream of web three is like this decentralized censorship resilient, uh, version of the internet. And it's like, we've had that for 20 years. We've had it for 30 years. Like, okay, wait, BitTorrent is that (laughs) explain. I mean, yes. And I think that's really interesting. And I also want to talk about, um, piracy in general, because I have some thoughts about that, but we, we've kind of been circling around this decentralized aspect of this and this conversation, which is the big selling point we're told for web three. 
And I think that Web3 is very interesting and we need to talk about it. And it's been completely overshadowed by crypto and NFTs because those are the use cases that we're seeing every day. Can you like tell us exactly what, what is Web3? What does it mean? I can't tell you what Web3 is because it means a bunch of different things to a bunch of different people. And um, to some people, it means like uh, metaverse, which metaverse has existed for a long time and is not quite web three to some people. It means cryptocurrency to some people. It means blockchain Uh, to me. Like I guess what web three means is it is some version of the internet that is a little bit more participatory than the current version of the internet, like web one, I'm not an internet historian, but as I understand it, like web one is like, you know, AOL and GeoCities and sort of like someone is typing HTML somewhere and they're pushing it out and you have like these web webmasters and web hosts and, and that sort of thing. Web two is like the invention of user generated content and, um, and sort of like a more participatory internet where it's very easy for people to create websites um, and also share things online. So this is like Facebook, it's social media in general, it's like WordPress, it's blogs. Um, we're still like sort of in this version of Web 2. Web 3 is something where, like even with Web 2, uh, the current version of the internet, it's like you need to pay for server space, you need to have, you have sort of these big centralized websites like Facebook ate the internet in a lot of ways where a lot of people just like go to Facebook and see sort of what, what is there. And so uh, in many ways, like the internet is more centralized than it's ever been. It's like, you have these behemoths, these gigantic websites that people go to. And like a lot of people would say that there's not sort of the joy of discovery and like web surfing that there used to be. Um, And then web three is like this sort of return to uh, a mass distributed internet where governments can't regulate it super easily. Um, it can be hosted by anyone with an internet connection. Um, you have the censorship um, circumvention measures of like the blockchain, meaning uh, the block, the blockchain. I say that like there are many different blockchains, but sort of like any sort of blockchain is hosted by, Anyone who is maintaining that blockchain, meaning you can't delete things off of it very easily. Um, You also have like NFTs and tokens and cryptocurrencies that can be used to um, like more easily distribute, like execute smart contracts and things like this. So it's like, We've, we talked about DAOs, which are decentralized autonomous organizations on a previous episode. And we talked about that. And, and basically it's like, these are organizations that are set up uh, and they're kind of like democratic organizations that can be, um, they're basically like alternative versions of companies and the power in the company is, is established by who has the most tokens and then you take votes on decisions and things like this. And so people are saying like, we don't need companies with a CEO and like a CMO and, uh, you know, middle managers and all that sort of thing. It's like 
we can have companies where people do work and they get tokens for the amount of work that they do. And then if they have more tokens, they can vote on decisions for that company and then so on and so forth. And it's like, if the company makes profits, then the profits can be distributed according to the amount of tokens that everyone has. That's like sort of the ideal of parts of web three. I mean, there's more to it than that, but it's basically like a more automatic version. Like by automatic, I mean sort of self executing, um, organizations where things are like fairer is sort of how I look at it. And it's like what it actually is right now is like a bunch of people rushing to make a lot of money um, based off of the hype and investment uh, associated with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and NFTs and all that sort of shit. But like the, the sort of ideal is like we don't need big internet companies anymore. We can create these decentralized companies and uh, they will sort of operate autonomously through some sort of utopian democratic voting system that nonetheless uh, isn't like one person, one vote. It's like whoever has the most tokens gets the most votes. Does that make any sense whatsoever? It, it does, but it sounds like you're trying, they're trying to have it both ways. Uh, you know, they, they want this decentralized platform, but they also want kind of a central power base that's automated that controls. I, it just, I don't know. I think a lot of this stuff feels, um, I get late nineties.com crash vibes from a lot of it. Um, I think a lot of people are pitching things without having, uh, without real good use cases or real good adoption rates. I think like, you know, that we had the, the, the Walmart VR, uh, metaverse thing go viral, uh, yesterday as we're talking and it was, you know, footage from 2017. I just, I don't know. A lot of this stuff feels like people aren't going to buy into it that aren't, uh, that aren't part of the gold rush in my opinion. And it feels like a buzzword right now that doesn't actually mean a whole lot. Uh, so we'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, companies are like frothing at the mouth to be sort of, you know, um, ahead of the curve here and to sort of get, get involved in some way, shape or form. And it's like web three is a buzzword at the moment. It's like, it's this mix of all sorts of different things. And it's like, Oh, well, it's Facebook's metaverse, but it's also uh, Ethereum. And it's also just like various blockchain technologies. And it's also NFTs. And it's like, yeah, all of these things are sort of new, but at the same time, a lot of them, have existed for a long time. And I think that's why we're talking about it here is because it's like BitTorrent has existed for a really long time. And uh, this protocol is like, it's a decentralized internet and it's censorship resistant. And it's many of the things that web three claims that it wants to be. But the thing that it's not is making anyone rich. It's like, it's like web three without the, sort of money aspects to it. And um, in that sense, it's like it has users. It's super useful. It's been useful for a really long time. It's resilient. And it's like, it is utopian in many, in many ways. Um, But it's not making anyone rich, like famously. So it's not making anyone rich. Like right now, the BitTorrent company, which was a company that invented the protocol is like, was purchased by like a blockchain company and now has a crypto token. And it's like their protocol is open source and has been used by 
you know, zillions of different companies and just like random people. Um, but I think that the, the actual company that invented it is like not making a lot of money. I think that cuts to the heart of what I think when I see web three is it's an attempt to monetize that decentralized dream of the early internet and like the BitTorrent thing. It's a way to try to figure out how to, to make money off of it. Um, but you know, so let's, let's set that aside for a moment. I feel like we could, we should probably do like a whole web three episode now. My, my brain is a little bit on fire. I do want to talk <laughs> more about piracy though. Um, cause I, you know, there are still popcorn time websites. There's still BitTorrents everywhere. People are, are, you know, people are running uh, seeds all the time, but they did have this Google Trends graph and they did show like this stark drop off from 2015. I do feel like when I gather with friends, we are much less likely to pull up popcorn time than we used to before. When was the last time uh, you pirated something or, you know, watched a pirated film? It's been years, actually. I mean, it's a really good point, but for yeah, I haven't used it for years. And I, I think there was this argument uh, when piracy was real big that I that I believed, and I think that it's been proven out that the reason people pirated things was not necessarily because it was free; it was because it was much more convenient. Like it was easy to grab the matrix off of BitTorrent Barnyard in 2006 and watch it on your computer. And if you wanted to watch the matrix in 2006 on your computer and pay for it, there's no way to like stream it. You had to get the DVD. You had to make sure the computer had a DVD player was hooked up to a DVD player, which could have been its own nightmare. And now if you wanted to watch the new matrix, the day it comes out, you could stream it at home. If you were in the U S right, you didn't have to go to a movie theater I think that the reason piracy has fallen off, if it really has... Oh, great. My cat hit one of the buttons. Thanks, Gus. Leave it in. Yeah, I'm going to leave it Gus, in. He's, he's yeah. very... Gus, uh, Cybercat, is very, very interested in what's going on and is leaning against the soundboard right now. And I've been nice. uh, fighting him the whole the whole show. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, your, your point is... Yeah, your point is one that is... I think is been borne out in a lot of ways where it's like, yeah, it was really hard to uh, watch H like you couldn't watch like game of Thrones um, on H like HBO go was, I believe the first one that existed for HBO. Like there's been HBO go, there was HBO max. Now there's HBO max and there was like one other HBO version of things, but it's like for a long time, game of Thrones was the most pirated show of all time. And that's because you either had to have, uh, both a cable connection or a cable subscription and a subscription to HBO to watch it. And it's like, if you missed, like if you couldn't watch game of Thrones at 9 PM on a Sunday, for some reason, it's like, you missed that episode. Like you could probably find another time that it was like on, um, on HBO, but like throughout the week, maybe, but if you missed it, you missed it. And it's like, at that time, what you had to do is you would go to Pirate Bay and download it. And that's what like hundreds of thousands of people did. Um, and it was really easy to do that. But now it's like, if you miss, uh, 
what is the show that it's a oh, succession just finished, I guess. But if you like miss succession, it's like when it aired on HBO, you can just go to HBO max and you can watch it. It's like, it's no problem. Wow. Gus. Yeah. Get off, get off being, the keyboard. Yeah, I'm really trying to get him away there. I've got the buttons moved. He's, he's kind of leaning on the back end of it now. We, we should be good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that definitely bore itself out in a big way. And then obviously like Spotify and Apple music. And I don't know why I'm saying title, but like, you know, streaming services like that really killed, um, you know, torrenting of, of music. Um, one thing I will say is that piracy is not dead. Like it is a lot less popular, I would say, but one thing that is happening and that we've seen happen is that uh, with the creation of 1 million different streaming services, um, people aren't willing to pay for 30 different streaming services. It's like in my, I think most people seem to have Netflix. Like many people seem to have Hulu. Many people seem to have HBO max or have like access to someone's password for HBO max. But it's like, then you get to things like discovery plus and paramount plus and like any like crunchy roll and any number of just like dozens of different streaming services. And it's like, you add those all up and it ends up being more expensive than cable. And so you had all these people who were cutting the cord because they were like, Oh, well I don't need cable. I can just get Netflix and Hulu and I'm good. Um, but now you have like really good shows that are coming on uh, some obscure streaming network. And it's like, I'm not paying $10 a month for this one show that I want to watch when I already pay for like six different other services. And so you did see like a bit of a resurgence of an interest in piracy, um, both at like the start of the pandemic when everyone was super bored, as well as just sort of with the, the sort of, uh, like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. I think people got subscription fatigue, both from wanting to like figure out what service a given show is on, but also from like not, not being willing to pay for 15 different streaming services. Yeah. This happened recently in the Star Trek fandom. Uh, Star Trek discovery is like the mainline Star Trek show that's currently airing in the U S it's always just been on Paramount plus or CBS, whatever it was before that it's been rebranded 13 different times, but in Europe and the UK um, it's very popular and it would air on Netflix. So if you had Netflix, you could just watch Star Trek discovery when it came out, the fourth season just started and uh, they pulled Paramount pulled Star Trek discovery from Netflix completely. And if you want to watch it and you're in Europe, you have to buy it. You have to buy Paramount plus and there was a lot of fans in the Star Trek community. They were like, well, I guess I'm going to learn how to use BitTorn again. I guess I'm going to start using popcorn time again. So you're right. It's never going to go away. There's always going to be a reason people get pushed to pirating stuff, even if it's not as popular as it once was. Right. And I think, I mean, even with streaming services, there's sort of the ethos of piracy around, which is, I mean... It's it's low tech, but there's tons of password sharing, and it's like this is obviously built into the uh, business models of some of like Netflix and HBO and stuff that lets you use, you know, have different profiles on there now. But that was like a big thing for a while. Like, was Netflix going to try to prosecute people who were sharing their passwords with ten different people, or or were they going to allow it? And it's sort of like, well, there's not really any way of policing that. Um, 
beyond like beyond sort of uh, limiting the number of times, the number of devices that can be watching a given account at any time. Um, but then you also had things like people turning on VPNs to get um, access to like the Canadian version of Netflix or the Spanish version of Netflix because different shows were available in different um, geographic areas. And then you sort of had the same cat and mouse sort of situation where it's like, then Netflix began trying to detect VPNs and shutting down people who are using VPNs or like not, not letting them use um, Netflix at all. If a VPN was on and then you had VPN makers promising that they had like Netflix resistant VPN services. So it's not like uh, Netflix was invented and Spotify was invented and magically like all copyright issues and piracy went away. It's like, it's very much still a thing. And, and the other thing I'd say is that, it's not just torrenting. It's like now there's also, I mean, this has been around for a long time, but lots of people hide pirated files on Google drive or hide them on like, uh, on mega upload or, or various other things and then share them on forums or just like, you can find a lot of stuff if you're really good at Googling. Um, and I haven't really used a torrent, uh, beyond downloading a lot of hacked material for motherboard articles, like, for the purposes of reporting uh, in a while, but I have like tried to find obscure music with creative Googling. That's like not on Spotify or whatever and have been able to do it. So I think it's just like pirating has evolved and changed. And it's like, it may, it might not be the go-to for people like the first thing that they do, but if, if they want to watch something and it's not easily available, like people will still pirate things. Yeah, no, I think it's all it's it's always going to be around, and I think the use case of like obscure films and music that aren't on streaming service is a big one. I see more of that uh, lately in a lot of the spaces that I'm in online. Um, but we need to pause here for an ad break. Do you want to stick around for a cipher? Yeah, I'll do it. Excellent. We'll be right back after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cypher. It's that part of Cypher. Welcome back, everyone. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cypher, <laughs> the part of Cyber where we decipher the week's biggest tech stories. With me today is Motherboard Editor-in-Chief Jason Kebler. Thank you so much for sticking around. Good to still be here. So so the first one I've got on the list is something that I know uh, affects you and Emmanuel and JC quite a bit. Um, it's those damn cheaters in Call of Duty again. Activision sues and unmasks alleged Call of Duty Warzone cheat sellers. What is going on in the what's the latest salvo in this long running war? 
Yeah, so I think you had a cipher or perhaps a, an episode of Cyber where you talked about Ricochet, which is uh, Activision's kernel-level uh, anti-cheat for Call of Duty and Warzone, um, which went live in December. And by all accounts, uh, basically like this monitors the um, programs that are running on PC gamers' um, computers while they are playing Call of Duty, which is controversial for a few reasons, but it's by all accounts a very effective way of uh, preventing cheating. And so that went live, and then suddenly, like all the cheat, the cheat developers were like, "Hey, uh, you should just play the game uh, without cheating because this is too hard to get around." But um, it seems like there have been a couple anti or a couple of cheat developers who are uh, either finding ways around ricochet or are working on finding ways around ricochet. And one of the biggest ones of these is engine owning, which is a company, well, a cheat developer we talked about before and Activision is suing them now, um, which is as far as we know, the first time that Activision has sued a cheat developer. Um, they've sent some cease and desist letters before, which are basically like lawyers saying, Hey, please stop this, which is a little bit different than an actual lawsuit. And so, uh, yeah, they are saying that they they're being sued for trafficking in circumvention devices, intentional interference with contractual relations and unfair competition. And the interesting thing about this is they doxed the developers or the alleged developers of engine owning who Activision claims is an Italian guy and a German guy, I believe. Um, Would you so this say- is interesting because. When you say they doxed them, what was like it was in the legal proceedings, or they actually put their names out there on forums, or what did they? How did they do that? And in in the lawsuit itself, it's like a the like the lawsuit is against actual people. Um, it's not like uh, I think that their pseudonyms are yeah. One is known as X O O X zero 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 X, and so it's not like you can sue X zero 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 X. It's like. Activision can't file a lawsuit against some random pseudonym. And so the lawsuit is against this guy, Mark Alexander Richts, um, who Activision is claiming is X000X. Um, and so in that sense, it's like, it's interesting because, I mean, it's interesting for a lot of different reasons. It's interesting Activision taking is taking this step, but it's also kind of like raises the issue of like why why haven't we seen more lawsuits? And the reason we haven't seen more lawsuits, in my opinion, is because a lot of times companies don't know who the cheat developers actually are. It's like, you know, if you, it's not, it's like, um, uh, like a, the big oil company that was hacked can't just go like sue the person who ransomware them because they don't know who ransomware them. It was like some ransomware gang who was very good at covering their, their tracks. And, you know, you can't just go like say, Hey, it was this guy, like let's, let's sue them. So in this case, like Activision did some relatively sophisticated investigatory work to determine, at least in, in their opinion that, you know, these four or five guys were, are running engine owning. And so in that sense, they like doxed them because they found out who it was. Um, it's like, I don't know, we didn't know who they were. So good on Activision, I guess. I feel like there's, 
I, I, I want to put a pin in that. And I feel like there's going to be a bigger story there. I would love to know how they figured it out, but we may not know that for a long time. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of information about that in the lawsuit, but it's, it's pretty like, they're like, Oh, this guy registered the web domain a long time ago. And then he claimed he sold it, but he didn't send us information claiming he sold it. And then like we talked to discord and blah, 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 uh, because a lot of them operate on discord, but it, it isn't, there's like a lot of stuff that's not said in the actual complaint that I think we want to know more about. And we'll probably actually come out during the case of the law during the legal proceedings because that's sort of like how discovery works. So, uh, stay tuned. Yeah. One to watch. Speaking of legal proceedings, this is my favorite story from this week. It's one that I got to write, uh, government photos show sacrilegious desecration of unique Wu Tang clan album, um, which was your brilliant headline. I must, uh, I must add for the <laughs> listeners. So this was, um, the, the long-running saga of Martin Scarelli, the pharma bro, purchasing a Wu-Tang album uh, in 2017, I believe, for $2 million, the one-of-a-kind. Um, as a as a, uh, uh, a condition of the sale, he couldn't let anyone else listen to it or distribute it. Scarelli was convicted on um, you know several counts related to securities fraud and securities fraud conspiracy. Um, and as part of that, has to pay restitution – and so the U.S. Marshals seized his uh, copy of Once Upon a Time in Shaolin, this Wu-Tang Clan album. Um, and for a long Naturally time... Naturally sold it to some random NFT guys as well. <laughs> yeah, of course, for $4 million. Um, so doubled his money that gets, you know, gets to be paid out to his victims. Um, but, uh, you know, immediately after this news broke, I think we were one of the first people that, that broke the story of the sale itself, if not the identity of the purchaser. Um, I filed a FOIA, a Freedom of Information Act request with the U.S. Marshal Service to basically get any information they had about the sale. Do you have pictures of it? Um, you know, what was the contract like, et cetera? And it finally came back uh, this week. Um, and we had, I think it was like 45 beautiful, strange, stripped down government photos of what the of the condition of this Wu-Tang Clan album. And it was uh, shocking. You know, and we don't know... It's 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 pretty beat up. Uh, heavily used, heavily, heavily used, used. I would say. Yeah, if you if you were to pur- if you were to purchase this at a CD warehouse in 2005, you would have asked the guy to knock a couple bucks off of it. Um, because the there's like a leather out there's a leather case on the outside box that's been scratched up. It has a big huge ding in one side of it. Uh, there's like a, snil- a nickel silver uh, CD case. One on thing the I couldn't tell is if the hinges on this box have been. Co- Completely snapped off. It looks like there was a clasp on it at some point, and it looks like it's just like gone. It did. It looked like the the clasps had come off, and that they had just put them in the velvet box. That's kind of what my read on it was. Um, but yeah, the, yeah. This thing, we don't know if it was Screlly poorly using it, or the U.S. Marshals didn't care about what they had. Um, somebody still paid four million for it, and I also thought it was interesting. Because there was a Rolling Stone story that announced the buyer, and they talked about about it, and there was a lot of really beautiful shots of the box and everything, and it's uh, obviously it was cleaned up between when these photos were taken and when Rolling Stone did their photo shoot. But there was a very there was a lot of stuff that the Rolling Stone photos didn't show, um, like they didn't show the outside of the the outer like leather box. They didn't show the inside where those clasps look like they've been busted, and it was just it was just fascinating to see this. 
one of a kind. And when Wu-Tang Clan made this, it's like when they made it, they took, you know, it was a big deal because it's a one of a kind thing, as you said. And it's like, they took these amazing, beautiful photos of it. And I also kept part of it secret. Like they didn't really keep all of it in there, um, in the press photos. And so now you have like these kind of like poorly lit, just like probably cell phone pictures of it. And it's, it's funny to see it. Like, yeah, it looks like they look like the, like when the TSA takes photos of things that they seize from people at airports and upload it on their Instagram. It's, it's got a similar vibe. Um, all right, let's move on to another one that I wrote, uh, but you have been obsessed with for a long time. Uh, this keyboard lets people type so fast it's banned from typing competitions. Jason, what the hell is a, is a caracorder? Uh, it looks like a rod, a rod with buttons on it. It's like, I, I, I don't, when I first saw it, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to find the words to describe it, but it's basically like, two palm things with a bunch of joysticks on it. Yeah. There's nine joysticks on each side, I believe. And basically like these switches are multi-directional. So, and each of them can be used to input text. Uh, and basically like there's this guy who invented this and he has a TikTok, and several of his TikToks have, have gone viral. Uh, and I've been watching them for months and eventually I learned that he was able to type like 520 words per minute, which is simply like mind boggling. Like I'm a fast typer and I type like 95 ish words per minute and like competition typers usually type like 200 plus words per minute. And this is faster than like more than double the speed of the fastest typers in the world. Um, and it uses a, uh, the reason that it's it's so fast is because uh, you're sort of able to input all of the characters simultaneously with all of your fingers at once. And then there's some software that sort of learns as you use it and deciphers what you were trying to say. Is that, is that how it works? That's how I yeah, understand it. So works. it's got, it has two, there's kind of two different input methods and diff- the different input methods produce radically different results. Um, so you can just do raw input typing and it's still very fast. He hits like between 250, 350 when he's doing that, when he's just regularly typing, um, use, well, I say regularly typing when he's using this machine to do direct input. Um, and then there's the cord method, which is what you were just describing. That's when he hits the 500 speeds, the 550. And that is like, it's like playing a chord on uh, a guitar, right? If you you're typing, hello, you hit, all the letters in hello at once and the software knows to then turn your, your mash into hello. And then you can kind of just keep doing that. And eventually it learns and kind of starts to keep up with you what you're trying to type. So you create organically these chords that you produce and that's how he gets, you know, speeds of 550. And yeah, one right. Of the- and I think one, inter- one interesting way of, of thinking about this is like, it's as if you had a keyboard, but each key was like four or five different letters and your fingers were able to be on every key on the keyboard at the exact same time. Um, meaning that you can just like push all the buttons at once, um, for, for a specific word. And yeah, I think you were going to say this, but like he's been banned from various typing competitions, which I think is just crazy. Yeah. He won one. Um, and they, he won some sort of like stand up desk that they sent him 
And there's a, a site called Monkey Type where it's just it's kind of like it's got leaderboards, but it's just a place where people challenge themselves. And it has software built into the site that if anything goes above 300 words per minute, it just it's just like, no, <laughs> we're not letting you get on the leaderboards because the, 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 the site assumes that you are cheating in some way. Um, and there's other the the way that the de- site's developer explained it. There's things of like time between keystrokes and other things that the site reads to kind of decipher if you're cheating or not. Um, and so and will disal like if it senses any of that that is typical on a care recorder, it will disallow use. And this is also something that happens with um, it's kind of similar to how like a stenographer's machine works. Right where you're typing very quickly in shorthand, and people that can use one of those machines can hit like 360 words a minute. Uh, and the site, if it, you know, if you're using a stenography machine, also will recognize that and, and not let you onto the leaderboards. But I was kind of yeah. more interested in his. Uh, he's also been using it for gaming and says that he's won a Rocket League tournament using it. And I think this is yeah uncharted I, waters. I think. I think like uh, within mere months, everyone on planet Earth is going to be using a care recorder for both typing and gaming. We can only hope. I I, I don't know. I feel like I've I touch type. I've been doing it for yeah. decades, and I feel like I can't learn this new way. Um, yeah, we're soon to be the really old people who can't do uh, can't learn new tech. Yep, that's uh, that's what's going to happen. And when it does, you'll hear about it on the next episode of Cyber. Did you like that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks so, for having me. Absolutely. If you if you like the show, please, we do have a Twitch channel. It's at uh, twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV, where we are going to be back live streaming these episodes starting next week. Um, and of course, we are in all the places that uh, fine pods are casted. Like, subscribe, share us around, do all those nice things. And we will see you next week with another story about uh, what's going on in cyberspace. And watch. Farewell. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.